welcome to another episode of RM Sotheby's Car Show, uh, recorded here in Paris. Uh, in a, we're surrounded by cars. Um, there is a bottle of wine in front of me, and I'm going to explain why in a minute. Uh, this is actually at our Paris sale. I'm recording this in uh, January, at the end of January. Uh, and we are under the Louvre. Uh, which is interesting and uh, very topical actually recently because um, people are throwing soup around in the Louvre, aren't they, at, at expensive paintings? Um, but we're not going to throw the wine around uh, at, ex at expensive yep. paintings. But I'm joined by a car specialist, not wine specialist, Michael Squire, and I'm also joined very much by a wine specialist, and I'm going to have to say this quite slowly because we've already explained that my, everyone laughs at my French pronunciation. Uh, so you're Célion, Ravel, Destien. Absolutely. Is perfect. that okay? Brilliant. You impressed with that? I'm really impressed. <laughs> and Célion is uh, the head of sales uh, for wine in France, uh, which obviously in Fr wine is part of. I, I mean, you probably had your first glass of wine at about the age of two, didn't you? Is that that's what happens in France? That is pretty much maybe slightly later. Uh, but yeah, but for, uh, wine is really, uh, it's part of the French culture and it has been for forever. Uh, it's really very important. I mean, it doesn't mean every French would drink wine at the age of two, but yes, it is, it is a very it's important very... part of our, of our culture. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. And the reason we're doing this, I know that this podcast is called The Car Show. And we are surrounded by cars, but we do occasionally love to bring in some specialists from Sotheby's that know an awful lot about other things other than cars. And we learn a lot, don't we? Because we don't even know a lot about cars. No, that's why we get other people on the show to <laughs> so, say something really so it's interesting. Not, it's, yeah. nice, it's nice to learn something about something. But this time last year, we were with Johnny Fowl, who is the head of whiskey. And I, I'm not really a whiskey drinker myself, but I learnt more about whiskey in a sort of a 30-minute conversation with him than I'd learnt in the previous 50 years, and, and uh, it was great. So, no pressure, but you're going to have to give me a lifetime's or a lifetime of uh, knowledge in Perfect. in about. Th 30, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Do my best. and um, because just a little bit more context as well for listeners is that we uh, are RM Sotheby's we specifically buy and sell cars but we are part of Sotheby's luxury division and as people often describe Sotheby's luxury division if you can drink it drive it wear yeah, it. it. If you can drink it, drive it or wear it, that is the luxury division. So yeah, yeah I think that, it's, a, it's a very good sum up of the luxury it's, division. It, it is, yeah. it's a perfect sum up. So that is, that's cars, it's wine, whiskey, spirits, watches, jewellery. But this podcast is about wine. Uh, we have three glasses, we have a bottle, but we'll come to that in a minute. Um, so tell us, Celion, briefly, how did you get into the world of wine because pe people often ask us in rm sotheby's if they think we've got a really good job they say well how did you get into this you know and how do you acquire the knowledge uh, and it's going to be different for everyone but how about you with wine well well the first thing is i think we have the same thing people think we have the best job in the world yes <laughs> uh because the, in the imaginary we uh, we spend our day drinking and uh, enjoying oh, you mean you wines. don't well we do but not as much as we, we would um well I mean, as you said, simply because wine's always been part of my culture as a French, you know, born uh, in France. Uh, I actually started a, a professional career in banking, so nothing related to ah. wine. But after a, few, a certain number of years, I had to do something different. And I think the passion for wine just, just came So back. you were spending your banking bonus on wine? And, yeah, then built, yeah. and then built up. Something a... <laughs> like that, yes. Uh, and then so I, I think I woke up one day saying I had enough of the, uh, the trading floor and, and I started a wine company in London, uh, uh -huh. small online retail, Got, had that for a couple of years, then moved on, uh, worked for a wine merchant in, in London and, and then finally uh, Sotheby's. Uh, so it's interesting because I've, I've worked with you know, the, the more everyday wines uh, then before moving on to the real fine wines. Uh, um, so it's a... a pretty much seen a lot of different stuff, uh, always mostly focused on French, French wines. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's basically why, passion why, for wine. Why did you get going in, in London and not Paris? Uh, well, it's just because I've, I've started my, my career, started working in, in London right. 18 years ago, uh, and I really enjoy living there, so I stayed there. And, yeah. uh, and also, I mean, even if you know, France and Italy are the, the, the countries for wine in Europe and Spain, but 
London and the UK is is a massive market. It's all it's been it's been the first you know buyers of French wine in Bordeaux for for hundred years, a couple of hundred years now. So it's really really uh, a, a huge market. For the Brits wine. do like a drink, uh, and, and you realise that the expertise of of you know wine collectors, private collectors in the UK is actually incredible. Uh, you have some, some of the top collectors of wine in Europe are uh, English gentlemen, and they, they really know a lot about wine. So it, it has a yeah, it does make sense. It's it's a very big place for wine. Yeah, I keep I keep hearing that British consumers are the spend more on wine, champagne and in champagne, particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we absolutely love it. And well, what do you think about? Uh, English wine producers. I'm, I'm looking at it very closely. I think it's, it's very interesting. The, the quality in the last years is, you know, gradually it's, it's improving. Uh, they also have, you know, every year it's climate change, but it, it's more uh, the climate is even better and better for wine. Mm. I mean, the first thing is they have a soil in England which is very similar as Champagne because it goes the, the soil goes under the channel and back up in the southeast of, of England. So the only thing they were lacking at the 10, 15 years ago was the, the, the climate. It was a bit too cold. Now it's becoming better and, and they, they're doing amazing work. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the English wines have a bright future. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a vineyard, I sort of live south of London, there's a vineyard called Denby's not yeah. far from me, which uh, I think produces some pretty good yeah. wine. And, and it's and, not just England. I mean, we've seen in the last decades uh, new vineyards in new countries, uh, either you know Eastern Europe, where it was back in the, the ancient times they do they did wine, but they've kind of stopped and they're doing it again, uh, and and they are doing amazing stuff. So it's not you know it's not just about France, Italy, or you know now California. There are a lot of new wine regions in the world that that, that will uh, become important and already are. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. And of course, I suppose, yes, going back to the soil in the south southeast corner of England, I don't know how, you probably have to go back about three million years, but England was obviously attached. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was attached that, to that, France. That, that's, that's exactly and, how it came uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, and we're, we are getting uh, longer, warmer summers. So the bright, we're going to usurp France, aren't we, as uh, the leading... Uh, <laughs> wine producer on, on the planet. You're a brave man to say that, sat oh, in I Paris. Know, I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to attract horrible looks from everyone around me. Um, yeah, I think it'll take a while long, longer, yeah. So what's, um, okay, Michael, look, you, by your own admission, you don't know anything about wine. I know nothing. But you do have a wife that knows something. Yeah, I'm married so, to a so, fine wine merchant. So yeah. this, this podcast is your opportunity to prove to your wife that you've at least listened to some, <laughs> some of what she's had to say. I listen to everything she says. That's on the record. Okay, yes. okay. She's um, told me everything I know. <laughs> well, just before we started recording, there was quite a valid um, little conversation that we had amongst ourselves, and that was, so Michael had said, uh, there's somebody he knew uh, said the great thing about wine is you can sort of go to the supermarket, you know, buy a whole load of seven quid bottles of wine and stick them in the cellar, keep them for 30 years, and they're all going to go up in value. Brilliant. Can't, can't lose. Just complete rubbish. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yes. And the analogy was that, and I think you very astutely observed that if you were to buy a Renault Clio today and were to keep it 20 years, the chances are it's probably not gone up in value. I'm not picking on Renault Clio's, that's kind of true of... Well, we're in Paris, like, so... We had yeah, to we're, 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 let's talk about... Twingo. Let's talk it's about... Fine. A, yeah, Twingo, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Citroen C3, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, very true. And, and there's a whole podcast in why some cars go up in value and some cars don't, and what makes certain cars desirable and some cars not, and so many factors involved in that. So can you just explain a little bit about, let's just say, a 10 euro bottle of wine that you could go into a supermarket and buy today, why the likelihood is, is that that's not going to be an appreciating asset. I know wine is for drinking, but if we just sort of begin to look at it from an investment point of view, how you begin to identify the wines that are going to, going to be a good asset and the wines that won't. Well, it, I think there's, there's two, two things we need to look at. Uh, is first, what's the ageing potential? And then second was the rarity, uh, the volume. Uh, what makes, and I think it's probably same for cars and everything, what makes it desirable or collectible, it's probably the rarity and the quality. So we're looking at those two, two aspects. Uh, when you talk about 
you know, a seven quid bottle, uh, uh, there's no rarity. It's no. probably mm. lots of volume. Uh, so why would it go up in price if there is volume? The, the, the second it becomes rarer as you drink it, though, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you can't really measure that. <laughs> you yeah. can't really measure it. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing, and that's probably the most important part, is it's outside of the, I mean, the quality, it's also subjective, because if it's a good quality wine for £7, brilliant. But will it age well? Because wine is a, is a living product, and that's very important, is, you know, the wine, the wine when it's bottled, it will still it will evolve, either in a good way or in a bad way. So... And then it's, it's all down to the grapes they use, but how the winemaker would make the wine. Do they make it to age? Do they make it to drink young? If it's a wine that's been made to drink young, which is mostly the case for you know, everyday wine, it's not going to improve once it's bottled. You drink it within a year. It's not going to... If you keep it in your cellar, even in the per perfect conditions, the wine inside, it's not going to improve because it's not made for to improve. Mm. Uh, so if it's not going to improve, that at some point it's going to decrease the quality, the taste. It's going to lose it. So that's why, you know, keeping a, an, a ten pound or seven pound bottle for ten years, it's unlikely to to improve because it's not made to age. It's made yeah. to drink now. Uh, so I think that's the, the most important how, part. How do you? Blender wine is that the, is that the right word? Blend. Um, but how how do you create a wine that once it's bottled is going to improve? What's the that, well, there must be a lot of science the, there. It, right? It's it's very technical, yeah. and, and I'm not a winemaker, so no, you know, sure. Uh, that that's the, the area maybe where my expertise is not yeah. uh, the same as a winemaker. He would tell you exactly what they do, how they do it, but it's it's a it's it's a lot of different factors, which is basically well the quality of the grapes you use, the mm. the type of grapes. Some grapes make wine that will age. Some grapes would make wine that won't. Uh, so there's a lot, but it's very, very specific to each region, each soil, each grapes, and the, 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 the blend of all these factors, that's how you make a wine that can age. Also there is, once the grape is harvested, how the winemaker, the winemaker technique, what would they do? Would they age in, in still less tank or a wooden barrel? It will also give various sorts of uh, properties to the wine that will make it good for potential for age or not. Uh, so it's it's very difficult. It's, it's not hard rule on this one can age, this one can't. You can try. I mean, I've had uh, you know non-vintage champagne, which are supposed to be you have supposed to drink them very quickly, uh, where vintage champagne they age well. But I had a few times where I drank some non-vintage, very regular champagne after five six years, and they actually improve. So right. there's no hard rule. Mm. It doesn't mean it won't. But yeah, it's a uh, it's how it is. And then, obviously, uh, the other fact is the rarity, how much has been produced, because for a Grand Cru in Burgundy or a first growth in Bordeaux, if they produce, they have small uh, production, then obviously everyone wants some, so you need to get an allocation. You don't mm -hmm. have one, you need to buy it. That's where the price would go up. Uh, okay. So it's, I think, yeah, it's the, the, the aging potential and the rarity that two of the factors that would make a wine, uh, you know, increase in value, a good investment wine. Mm. Uh, that said, you know, as a, as a wine specialist and as a wine lover, I, I think about wine as it's made, you have to drink it at some point. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, it's kind of a shame to have you know, bottles in your cellar that you look at but you never open. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. understand it, but it's, it's, you know, it's well, we made to be enjoyed. How often do we talk about that in terms of cars? You know, we, we, yeah. we, we did a, an, an episode of this podcast recently where we were talking about the things that really annoy us about the car market and that's become the obsession particularly on more modern sort of supercars ferraris made in the last 20 years or whatever nobody would nobody drives them because everyone's up, everyone's so uptight about putting more miles on the car you know so these so many cars now they're bought they go into climate uh you know uh, dehumidified storage and and um and people aren't enjoying them they're not, they're, they're, you know, well, they're, they're cars. They have wheels and an engine. They're here to be driven. If you were looking for a connection between cars and wines, I think that's a very interesting one. Yeah, because yeah. It's, we see the same thing in wine. Uh, people would buy them, but then, you know, just, just keep them in a cellar in a perfect condition. It's, it's trophy wines. Look at them. Mm. And, and it's great. I mean, if you have such a vast collection, why not? But ultimately, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a product that is made. Every winemaker would tell you they make wine, so whoever buys them can enjoy them. And in the same way, I assume, 
yeah, uh, a car is made to be on the road, not in a, not in a garage. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the classic question in the car world is, uh, tell me the car I should buy that will be a good investment. And the instant answer is, well, buy a car that you like, number one. I mean, you know, don't buy a car you don't like because you think it might go up in value. Um, so I suppose the true is the same is true of. Uh, yeah, of, it's, it's of, the same. I mean, I think maybe where it's 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 slightly easier in wine is is you can e you can more easily buy two cases and drink one, <laughs> and keep one as an investment. Why not? I mean, that's probably a lot of people would do that. Uh, it's maybe slightly more difficult because you wouldn't buy two cars, two similar cars, keep one in your garage and drive the other one. Uh, well, Michael probably does. <laughs> Lucky yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it, it's important to, to enjoy it. And one of the things I find amazing about uh, wine collecting and investing is that, you know, we, we put on an auction where we have 80 cars turn up and they're, they're all here and they get traded and these cars have come from all over Europe. And with trading wine, you know, there'll be cases that'll sit in a storage and they've got a barcode on them, and that case may sit in exactly the same spot, but be owned by five different people through over true. a ten-year period. Um, it sits in the same spot, and it goes. You know, you don't. You never you don't, see you don't tend to get that in cars. They tend no, to, the cars tend no. to sort of we, we see that, move yeah, around. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. Not that much in France, mm. uh, but it's it's more common in, in, in the UK and in, in the US and Asia, where you know wines are are stored professionally. Uh, yep. They have this. They, I mean, the UK uh, where, um, inbound warehouse for wine is massive. It's yes. multi billion uh, of wine, which are sitting in, in in professional warehouses, which is great because it's best way to, to keep them in, in good conditions. Uh, but it's yeah, it's now you can sell the same case of wine could have been sold three, four times without moving physically from the storage. It's a good way of guaranteeing that the storage has been good. Moving wine, it's not ideal. Uh, we do move it. We we always extremely careful when we know we we move one from a from a seller and then move it to our warehouse before selling it, for example. Uh, yeah. But it's extremely important to do it in the right conditions. So it's true that these the, the cases when they stay in the same warehouse all their life and yeah. it's it's good. And uh, one of the most successful ones is is an old mine, isn't it? Yes, and, yeah. uh, that's that's where we store Because all the temp wine. temperature, because uh, it's all underground, the temperature stays a constant. Underground is the perfect place. Now, there's, there's also a question that the, the, the temperature is important, uh, but also the humidity. It has to be yeah. a good humidity level, but not when it's too much. It's a bit. It's actually not. Bad so you want you want, do you want a slightly a slightly damp yes, environment? Yes, you don't want it too dry. It's important. The, the problem is when it's damp. It's not for the wine, it's good for the wine, but it's not great for the labels, right, uh, yeah. the cartons. You know, uh, today we pack wines in, in carton. They are all recyclable and everything, which is great. But also, the carton doesn't have the same life as the wine. So after a couple of years, the wine's perfect, but cartons are starting to be very damp. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, I mean, in the end, it doesn't, the, the carton doesn't matter. It's really the wine that's important, so it's good. Uh, yeah, underground. I was in Champagne this weekend, uh, and we visited a few uh, Champagne houses, and they have the most amazing underground cellars. Yeah. I think under, uh, under uh, Epernay, it's like three or I don't know how many times the size of the, 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 the town in underground corridors and cellars. Yeah, wow. it's, it's absolutely impressive. And the, obviously, conditions are perfect because it's so deep underground, like up to 25 meters. Uh, it, it's, it's perfect. But yeah, that's the, to, to go back to what you were saying. Yeah, there the, are some some uh, very nice uh, storage in the UK, uh, deep underground, all mines. You can use different places, but if it's underground, it's always perfect. Well, yeah. close to pro perfect. provenance matters. Because provenance matters a huge amount to cars. But you can restore a car. Yeah. You can't restore a wine. Well, you know, in, in, I know sometimes they can. A, a, really. a vineyard can top up a. No, depending I mean, on you usually don't touch like... the wine. What, what happens sometimes for very old bottles where the chateau would recondition them? Yeah. Uh, they well, put on new labels, would they? they that, that's something they could do, new labels. They could uh, recork them. Uh, they yeah. could sometimes, yeah, they could slightly top it up. Would that affect the value, though? Uh, if you, if, how, well, much of, how much of the value of a bottle is in, is in the packaging and I, the label? I'd say and... in terms of value, if the wine's been, if it's like a... a 80 or 100 year old wine, like for example, some sauternes which lasts very long, uh, but the labels, the corks, they, the, the capsules, they don't last as long as the wine. If it's been reconditioned by the chateau, yes, that would, that would 
add, add some value as well because oh, okay. uh, the liquid is original and old, but also you know the label is looking good. And as, but it has to be reconditioned by the chateau. Otherwise, I mean, if, if someone temporizes it and reconditions themselves, that a, on the other end, the value is none. It, it so can you actually then, on a 100-year bottle of wine, you, you, you can remove the cork and recork it without doing damage to the wine? It's, it's okay? No, the, I mean, the, the profe the, 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 only, the, the, only the chateau would do it for their own wines. No, right, never. Right, no, it's, uh, right. Well, first, when you have a 100-year-old wine, it's, it's, you have to be very careful when removing the cork because of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it very, very quickly can crumble into small pieces. But, but it's not, no, it's, it's really, I mean, you, you wouldn't, and, and I think the same way with Scar, you don't, you don't change, if you change parts in the car, I assume that unless it's been done by the manufacturer, it's not going to add some value, is it? Or could it? Um, well, it does, yeah, so you've got programs like uh, mm. Ferrari Classique, where you can essentially send a car back to them and, and they will restore it. But they will be done by, the, by Ferrari. By, by Ferrari, yeah, and they, they can, um, they can if, if there's a say the car's had a bit of a life and it actually needs to be restamped and the Ferrari say this is the car and they approve that yes actually we're happy to you know restamp the chassis number and that's fine if someone else did that that's a problem yeah so it's, exa it's so exactly, yeah, it's the, exactly same thing. the same thing yeah, yeah. Uh, unless it's been done by the producer the chateau and yeah. you know they do it sometimes it's quite it's rare but it's, it's a good thing uh, you know and a lot of bottles when you have a wax capsule uh, a long time they, they can crack and be damaged mm -hmm. and again the only way either the, the the producer could do it otherwise you no know, if it's been done by anyone else you lose the value. It's very important. Um, and what's the situation with screw caps? W without wanting to sort of, you know, bring the tone of the conversation down too much, because they're now essentially omnipresent, you know, yeah. and, and would a very high-end wine producer that's producing something that you would potentially lay down for 50 years, w would you even consider, could they consider a screw cap or would that? There's, that that's a, an ongoing yeah. question and debate. Right. Um, we don't see that more that often uh, and again it, I'm not going to go into technical reason why we use uh, the, the, the regular corks rather than screw caps for but there is within the, 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 the cork you have a micro oxygenation there's very tiny bit uh, it's important what you don't have with a screw cap my personal opinion is that screw cap are great for wines you know the, 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 the one that are not made to age but I, I, I'm, I don't mind uh, you know yeah, but uh, yeah, there is this part where for for aging in a long period, uh, I think, and again, I'm not a technician. I think uh, you know regular corks are still the good option. You want something that is ever so slightly porous in a in a minute in I a think, sort of yeah, a microscopic way. From what way. I understand, yes, that's right, the point. Okay. And also, I, that's that sounds weird, but when you have a screw cap, the, the, you, I, I would personally miss. The actually the, yeah. the action of opening a bottle, the sound yeah. it makes yeah. when you pop the cork out, uh, you know, smelling the cork, just the wine. It's I don't know. It's part of the ritual of opening yeah. a bottle of wine, uh, and when you have very very high value wines, I like that side. It's it's important. It's part of the the whole experience, and yeah, you would miss it. I would miss it. And how common is it? to have perhaps spent a large sum of money on, a, on an old bottle from a great vineyard and for you to open it and really it hasn't kept well and you're very disappointed with the contents. I mean, is that, I mean that's clearly a risk. Absolutely, um, always. But, but, but I mean, is it, is it something that would commonly be encountered? There's, there's two things when you look at mature wines. It's, you know, it could either be, you could be disappointed because you don't like it, it's too old, it's not to your taste. But that's very subjective and mm. someone else would love it. It's all yes. individual taste. Now, and the other part is the default. If there is an actual default on the wine, uh, it mm. could be corks. Uh, there's very, various others uh, things that could impact it, yes. Um, I think it happens and there's, there's not much we can do, especially no. for old wines. I would assume, you know, I, I know if I buy an old bottle of wine, there is a chance it's not going to be that good because it's too old. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm frustrated if it's faulty, but you know, the age and what I think you were more referring of, you know, being too old and past and not 
you know, maybe tasting a bit more like a port uh, than a wine uh, because it's, it's, it's age. Um, it's, it's part of the game, I guess, and, yeah. and you have to, to take that into consideration when you buy. Now, what we, we can do, our job is to, we do everything we can to ensure that the bottle's been kept in the best possible conditions because mm -hmm. that would help uh, avoiding these type of issues. Uh, you know, we look at the color, we look at the levels, uh, but we can't taste them. We can't taste every bottle we, we, we put in auction uh, because then when you open it, it's, it's done. Um, so yeah, there, there is that, that, that part of a risk, but I think a lot of people who buy, collectors who would buy old wines, they know it and they accept it. It's, it's, part, of the, it's part of the game. Yeah. Oh, we have somebody. Did you? I don't have a microphone. Oh. I haven't had any wine either. Did you, smell, did you smell that from <laughs> no. the outside? Have a seat, have a seat, please. It always feels to me like a red is, is really the connoisseur's choice and that white is to some degree the poorer relation. I used to, I used to only drink red and, in, and a few years ago I kind of migrated over to white and I quite rarely drink red now. Well that was but after you had all your teeth whitened and you didn't want <laughs> yeah. to Well that's it. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, you yeah. gave up coffee as well didn't you? And chewing tobacco. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you only drink rosé. Oh, I love rosé. Yeah, you're, you're only ever like a, a foot away from a bottle of Whispering Angel. Well, if, 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 I, if I can't buy rosé, I just a slosh of red and a slosh of white, and, and, uh, and essentially you've if done you get the, the colour right. <laughs> this is I'm coming across very badly in this podcast. Um, no, j j just on that, uh, I think that maybe maybe the only reason why that would be you would think about that is because. The, the, the great red wines have a probably longer uh, life potential, okay. aging potential. I mean, if we take out sweet wines, yeah, like these are Chateau I mean, Cam, yeah, yeah, so I mean, Chateau Cam, yeah. you, you will open a hundred-year-old bottle; it would still be stunning yeah. uh, when it's rarer with a red wine. Uh, white wines do have a sh kind of usually a shorter lifetime, but we, I mean, some some great white Burgundy would age brilliantly for 20, 30 years without any yeah. any problem. Someone, it's. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also, in the end, it's down to everyone's taste. I think that's the, 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 the key point every time I talk about wine is, what do you like? Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you tell me I, I only like, love white and I want to have white with my big piece of beef, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, if you, know, if you like I, it. I mean, um, coming onto, onto that sort of more generic topic, where does um, champagne plug into this in terms of collecting? I mean, champagne, champagne my experience is, is, doesn't, is, is, is becoming mm. more and more yeah. uh, collectible vintage champagne. Uh, so in champagne, you have the, the. And what are the parameters for collecting champagne? Because I guess it doesn't age as well. As I think. Well, I think the the, 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 the the collectibles ones are the vintage one because they age for a very long time. Well, first of all, a vintage champagne would have stayed in the bottle, in the producer's cellar, for something between five to 20 years before they actually release it on the market. So that shows you the, you know, the aging potential. Um, so yeah, vintage champagne has a very big potential to it. It will change if you open a 40 year old vintage champagne, you won't have the same bubbles that you have in a, in a, well, so in yeah, a brute non-vintage obviously, because yeah. then a long time the, the bubbles will reduce and you might have it, it in the end almost is kind of a white wine. Mm. Well, I'm curious about that because I read as well, I, in reading this book, Billionaire's Vinegar, something I wasn't aware of is ullage, and you get this sort of air leaking in, and, and the, that's how you tell a good bottle of wine is how what the gap is, I guess. Yeah. At least it, it's, it's one it's, of the it's parameters. Nat it's natural. Natural ullage uh, or, yeah, or loss of wine. It's natural that along the time, then the level would slightly would go slightly lower. Mm. Uh, but but with champagne, presumably you can't recork it, which you can with other wines. You, we discussed that earlier. We don't really, you don't really recork. I mean, unless it's a very unique bottle of Ikem that Ikem themselves would recondition. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you don't. I mean, if you temper with it, it's just you lose the value. Uh, I mean, if you want to do it at home and recork a bottle, it's your decision, but you lose the value. Also, the problem is when you open the cork, you, the air is oxygen is coming inside, and, and you don't want that. But they do it at they do it at the vineyard, don't they? they, they do, have, because yeah. of the chateau, because yeah. it's a bit like going back to the manufacturer for a restoration, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, to, to, in terms of champagne, yeah, vintage champagne are definitely uh, great collectibles. Uh, from you know, vintage champagne from the, the best houses and, and producers are uh, mm. incredible. They can age for a very long time. Mm. 
mm. uh, which is not something we would imagine. But yes, they do they do age incredibly well. And there's a lot of story about you know some some champagne houses and producers who've they, they've rediscovered some very old vintage champagne or very old champagne that you know was hidden in the cellar behind a wall built during the war. Or there's yeah. always a lot of uh, of, uh, of reasons, and and they taste different the same way a Bordeaux would a would taste different. The same you know if you drink it after 10 years or after 50 years, it doesn't taste the same, but it's still amazing. Uh, and as I said, I was this weekend in Champagne, and and we were visiting uh, the Maison Perrier Jouette, and they have what apparently well the the, the oldest bottle of champagne in Champagne that known, which was, I think, in 1825, wow. vintage. Uh, so I'm not sure whenever they're going to open it, That's but good. it's quite, quite incredible. I, I don't know if you've discussed it, because I only came for the opening of the bottle, but the, um, the, the capital gains tax, I mean, have you discussed that? One of, well, I think one of the things that's similar with wine and cars, at least in the UK, it's considered by the tax man as a wasting asset because uh, there's the a moment, cost yes. to own the wine. <laughs> Do not a, draw this to the attention of HMRC, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you well-known well known listeners of this podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they absolutely. listen to everything. They listen to everything. <laughs> um, but, I mean, a car, there's a cost of And as long as you're not dealing in cars some, and you yeah. sell it, it's, it's free of capital gains tax in the UK. I think there's a limit <clears> how many cars you can sell or buy in a year. But, obviously, there is a, a cost to ownership and yeah. storage, storage and maintenance yeah. and I guess it's similar with wine. It's absolutely. Um, I mean different countries would have different views yeah. and different yeah. rules on that but yeah on, in some countries they, they consider it as a um, you know it, it has a life a lifetime and you know at some point it's not becoming it, it's going to waste so yes yeah. there, there's no um, yeah if you you can sell it but why they, where are they going to start looking at if you trade act very actively if you you know if you sure. make a big revenue of trade buying wine selling them within a few yeah. years yeah. that's where they start same, looking same at it differently course. but if you have you know if you have a a, a, a a very large collection of wine and one day you decide to sell it for various reasons because you need the cash because you don't drink anymore whatever reason mm. yes that's uh, yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's an attraction as a, as a collector mm. and investor, mm. I, I imagine. But uh, I can't say how long this is, you know, if they might change the rule one day, mm. uh, probably, I don't know. Um, but and there are indices as well, aren't there, for wine collecting? Uh, there are a few. I mean, the, the most uh, famous one is the LiveX, which is uh, basically it's a platform that would get all prices, live prices from merchants everywhere, and try to give well first the pricing on the wines, and then they create a sort all, all sorts of in, in index indices like uh, you know the top hundred, the Bordeaux, the Burgundy. That gives a very good. It's it really gives a very good idea of how the market is doing. You know, if if it's going up, down, where is it at the moment? I mean, we've seen 2023 has been a difficult year, uh, also because the wine has been very resilient during the COVID period. Uh, the wine market was still, the price still going up. Uh, we had, I mean, the last five years has been, we've seen increases in price pretty much on all type of wines. Uh, now, 2023 has been a bit more complex. Uh, overall, the, 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 the price and the indices are down, uh, clearly. I think Berg, top, the top Burgundy are the ones which have been struggling, which are struggling the most. But they also have been the one that have increased the most in the last five years. So it's just you know, a natural um, uh, readjustment. Uh, Bordeaux are doing better comparatively to Burgundy. Champagne's mm. been again growing very fast. So now it's uh, slowly a little bit. But yeah, and that's where these indices are very useful. Is there? Um we talk quite a lot in the car market about the market evolves because fashions change and tastes change and with the passing of generations of collectors they're interested in different things so the cars that might have interested my father uh, are probably to a 30 year old today it's very different and and so you know the market is changing the whole time is there any sense of that that's within the wine market? Absolutely, as well? I yeah. think it's like every other market. You have, you know, your trends. You have to trends. Something are fashionable. Something is not in ten years. It wasn't. Uh, so we do see it. And I think in the same way, you have the, the safe. I'd say the safe bets, the ones that are and have always been and will always be the top wines. Uh, in, in in the same way as some manufacturers are, you know, in cars, they are the top ones and everyone wants them. Mm. And they're quite steady. Uh, in in wine, you'll have either producers or regions. You know that some regions where 20 years ago no one was considered them as great wine region now they are. Uh, 
yeah, it, 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 it does change. And, and, you know, these days we see a lot of interest, maybe not in terms of collectible, but in terms of, of trends, uh, you know, into natural wines. Uh, mm. this, it was organic wines, now it's natural wines. There's new, new trends, it changes. Is it going to last? I don't know, maybe. Um, I find it really interesting, Barolo. Because Barolo is, yeah. you know, was, I mean, it still is one of the great wines, but it was... You, know, you, you used to years tradition when it, when it was made traditionally, like you know, decades ago. You wouldn't open one of those bottles for you know until it was at least five, ten years old. And Barolo was very much at, at the top, and now it's not so much. It's still very much it's still, the top. When you look at Italian wines, the, the, yeah, I mean the Piemonte and Barolo in particular are among the, the, the best wines in Italy. They're amazing. Lo, lo, yeah. you know, sought after wines uh, with the Tus Tuscan wines as well. Yeah. Uh, that but, hasn't really changed. Am I right in saying no Italian wines are included in the indices for yeah, collectors? Of course they are. They are. Because I remember talking to a wine investment fund a few years ago, and they said they only exclusively deal with French wines because well, of the Appellation I mean, Contourée. It I mean, that has changed because you'd this see was, now. Yeah, this was 10 I mean, years we ago. Do, we do see Italian wines in all our auctions. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, all the top, the, the, the top uh, producers, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it has become, I mean, it's as, mm. you know, any other wines in France or, you know, Bordeaux. It's maybe less that they are, they're not as many, you know, uh, collectible wines, if you could say that. Uh, but yes, no, it's very much uh, important. And I mean, LiveX, what they do in, with the indices, they have one, a global one, then they have regional ones. So you have, you will have one for, mm. um, for, for Italy, for Tuscany. Um, yeah, absolutely. They are, okay. they are among. No, they, it, it was a conversation I had wines. many years ago with May, an investment it, it, fund who. But were, it has changed. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the wine scene changes in 10 years, in five years. There's, there's a lot of new. And how much impact, sort of, into the future will the new the new world wines, you know, Australia, New Zealand, South America, is there place in the kind of hierarchy of wine? Of is that course. like yeah, that's just going to get stronger and stronger? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no reason why not. I mean, it's you know, we've seen it in the last 30, twenty years. Mm. Uh, you know, they've 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 been more and more popular in the entry level markets but also in the in, in the top in the collectible wines you know you have the fine you know fine when we talk about fine wines they are they are some in, in Australia in in California mm. you know mm. South Africa everywhere mm. it's interesting yeah. you talk about fashion and trends I mean apart from mentioning your waistcoat which I really think you should hide well that's um, just keeping warm but <laughs> um, the um, there's maybe a little bit of a parallel there with whiskey I mean with Japanese whiskies who would have thought you know, 30, 40 years ago, that Japanese whiskey would have the value it does today. Um, mm. So I guess people open their mind and yeah, probably absolutely. things like social media as well open people's minds to new, well, new spaces say, within collectibles. I would say it starts with the quality of the wine. Sure. Uh, mm. As you know, if, if you, wherever you do it, if you produce a top quality wine, there's no reason why. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a parallel with the car world, though, because brand trumps quality. Probably, I mean, you can look yeah. at cars around here and we're surrounded by Ferraris and Porsches and Ferrari and Porsche as a, as a brand yeah. at the very top of collectability but today, if they I'd say. Losing... But if you go, there are some less known brands. And I'd say in the um, car world, brands that don't exist anymore today are less likely to reach yeah. the sort of higher echelons yeah. of collecting because they've been dead for 30, 40 years and people today aren't hearing about them in, in the well, sort of modern take, context. It would take a longer time for, to, to bring them back and in the same way. But, yeah, of course, you, you, you need to have the conjunction of a great wine. And if you happen to do it in a very well-known region it does help and it, it will get much faster of course it's much faster for you know a burgundy producer to become very much collectible because they are in burgundy and it's easier yeah, than someone Le Pen would have yeah that have had that well that's that, that's a, an example but yeah. they, they are very a lot of um of reason but new regions as well will have their mm. fine wines because they do work a lot on on the quality and if they do it, there's no reason why. Because people are also very interested in discovering new, uh, new region, you know. And especially, for example, right now, with, when you've seen the price of the Grand Burgundy Grand Cru in the last five years, it's becoming quite crazy. And then a lot of people are starting to say, "Well, I'm not. I don't want to pay that much anymore. So I'm going to look at either another producer in the same region that does great stuff, or you know, another region that would do maybe something a different wine. It won't taste the same, of course, but." 
the pleasure of drinking it will be mm. there. Mm. Um, mm. So it's uh, it's it's not completely locked. Uh, you know, you can. Uh, you, you I suppose can. what you were going back to what you were just saying. I mean, it would, it's interesting, isn't it? So Bugatti, historically, one of the most prestigious motor manufacturers in the world, pre-war. If Bugatti today hadn't come back, yeah, it had a dead patch, really. Well, it did have a dead patch, and if and if 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 post the 90s, mm. you know, if Veyrons and Chirons had never been made, if Volkswagen didn't own the brand mm. and everything else, it would be interesting to know what ultimately what that would Im- how that would impact yeah, the, Bugatti, the, pre-war the pre-war Bugatti. is probably a little bit immune from that but the sort of eb 110s well, and that era was probably a little bit on the cusp well, I th- of i think the pre-war cars will be immune to that for a period of time but there will be a lot of people that will have an interest in a pre-war bugatti because of the the way in which the brand is still omnipresent with mm. the the modern mm. supercars, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. One, I mean, one of the things that affects the car market today is is materials for restoration, finding the right skills. You know, um, the chemicals involved in some of the old painting techniques and all these things. They're quite hard to. Um, to use today, much harder than they were traditionally. And that's one of the things that affects this market. Something that piqued my curiosity, and it's not a subject I, I go deep into, is global warming. Mm. And I was watching a, I was watching a program with Joanna Lumley, who's in the Seychelles, and she was with the ladies who plant the seaweed, and they use the seaweed in the cosmetics industry. And she said, increasingly, these, these ladies, who d- this is their living, are having to go deeper and deeper, sort of up to their neck, in, to, to, to plant the seaweed because the sea temperature is cooler there. Whereas, you know, they could do it in a metre of water, they're now doing it in a metre and a half of water. Many of them can't swim. So I just piqued my curiosity about how global in, uh, warming is affecting, maybe in a positive way, maybe some of the regions well, which... That's, that's um, well, discussed. we've already discussed... Oh, how, sorry. Well, uh, no, 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 no. You turned up on time. I was just saying how, you know, warmer English summers are clearly going to make English wine the preeminent uh, wine, well, and, you know, globally. It has and, an impact, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's the, the one... Warmer English question. summers, which part of... <laughs> which well, summer were you talking to? 78? In, in Sussex. <laughs> in Sussex, Sussex, in Sussex. Sure, sure. If you're north of the M25... No, you have to go out, you you have to go out of the pub to test the temperature. If you're sitting by the fire in the pub with no, a pint and your dog... Or your <laughs> north of the M25, you don't get the are tied up outside. Now, Sam, you have bought a bottle of wine, which I did... As I said Hostess just a moment ago, I did, I did, I urged you to pull the cork, and in order to um, open this bottle, he's going to have to take some of it back to the office <laughs> to uh, share with colleagues. So we can't drink it all. Oh really? Well, we'll see. Well, we'll see. Well, it's um, quarter to one. I'm going to point. There we are. <laughs> it's already late. Just uh, pointing it at the camera for those. Um, the trouble is with wine tasting on a podcast. We haven't invented Last the... time you held something on a podcast, it was blue diamonds and you dropped them all over the floor. So <laughs> I think you should be careful with that yeah. bottle. There, there are some people listening to this podcast who don't even have the benefit of, watch, uh, of watching it. Um, I am holding a bottle of red wine. Uh, so, Sam, can you tell us a little bit about this bottle? Absolutely. Uh, so, well, it's, this is a, a red burgundy. It's a, it's a bone wine and more specifically made uh, it's a, by the Hospice de Bone. And that is... The reason I brought this one because it's very, very, uh, very dear to Sotheby's. Um, the Hospice de Bone has a very unusual story uh, of being a public hospital in the city of Bone, which is one of the main cities in the Burgundy wine region. Uh, and the hospital was, the hospice were, were created back in the mid uh, 15th century. Uh, wow. So it has a very long history. I'll, I'll try to do it short, but what happened is along the years, they, the, the, the hospice got donations from the locals of uh, lands and uh, small plots of vines. Uh, and, and that, they still get some donations. But along the years, they've now have 60 hectare vineyards around uh, in Burgundy, which is quite big for, uh, for a single producer because Burgundy is very, very small, like some are just the size of a garden. Uh, so what they do, with these this, this vineyards, they, they, they cultivate it, they, they work in it all year long. They harvest, like everyone else, end of August, start of, of September, then they make the wine, uh, and then for a couple of weeks, it stays with them in barrels. Uh, but the difference is that they sell it immediately. They don't wait to bottle it a couple of years later and sell it. So what they do, and it's a, it's a massive tradition, and it's part of the, the history of bone, uh, is every Third is the third Sunday of November. 
they sell the, the entire production at auction by barrel. Well, so it's unique. I don't, I don't think anyone else would do that in the world. Uh, so, and it makes it, the, it's the, the biggest and the oldest wine charity auction in the world. Well. Uh, and and in Sotheby's, I mean, Sotheby's very run, proud. Run the we are very proud of, of being uh, being the partner with that. So we run the, all the auction uh, part really of it. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very unusual way of, of doing it because everyone else in the wine world would would see the the, the 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 production of the wine till the last moment where it would be bottled and then and then sold. Uh, but what they do is, and also because it's you know traditionally they're hospitals, so it's not their job. To make wine and sell wine, uh, so, so so that's why they do this. They, oh, nice. so they sell the whole production. Uh, it's difficult because you have to buy a barrel. You can't buy a bottle, and a barrel is no, yeah. about 288 bottles. Uh, so right. it's quite an investment. He drinks uh, from the barrel anyway. Wouldn't well, he put it in a bottle? Well, I was thinking you're probably relating this to Beaujolais Nouveau Day, aren't you? So. <laughs> Well, it has running a, around in the PR industry. It's slightly different in terms of bottling. Before your teeth are white. They do sell it in November of the year, but they bottle it, and they consider it as finished. Where when you buy it, it's not finished, and you buy the barrel, and then it has to stay in Burgundy for another year or two years, depending on the wine. And you choose one of the uh, what we call the négociant éleveur in Burgundy, who would look after your barrel and finish the élevage for it and then bottle it for you. So you buy it, it's, it's an, unpro an unfinished product. But there's an investment there in pleasure in the process, in sort of taking the bottle there's and watching the, the evolution of it. The only investment nice. is personal because yeah, there's, no in market, the there's no secondary market for mm. it. I mean, I mean the, the, they all label the same way. The only difference when, when you have, and I'll show it for uh, the one who are lucky to see us, but this is the, the, the classic Hospice de Bonne label. Uh, you'll have the vintage, you'll have Hospice de Bonne, the appellation, Bonne Premier Cru, uh, which is Bonne Premier Cru would be the same as any other producer would do. But they have, and then they have a name of a cuvee. This one is a cuvee Dame Hospitalière. They traditionally name the cuvee by whoever has given the land that uh. made the wine. Uh, this one, they named it in, in honor of the Dame Hospitalière, which are the nurses that were working at the hospice. And then you'll have, the, you'll have your name as a buyer. That's the, the part that you, you kind of choose. You can put your, you put your own name in it. So either your company name or your name if you buy it for yourself. And then the name of the negociant elver who's uh, done the élevage for you. These are specific because they are done by the hospice de Bonne, so there's no buyer. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a very specific one. And you don't see those labels in, in retail or restaurant, or mm. rarely, because most people who buy them, they will just buy them and keep them for themselves and drink them. Right. Uh, so there's yeah. no secondary market for them, and that's a good thing, I yeah. think. Yeah. And so is it a fairly sort of consistent production there? Uh, well, production is, well, the, the, the size of the vineyards are, um, are uh, the same every year, but the production is very different because it depends on, on the, the, the climate. Season, yeah, yeah. Uh, so 2021 was a very small crop everywhere in Burgundy, and it, the, the, the sale, the, the total production was about 300 plus barrels. Uh, 2022, which was a, an amazing year in terms of, of volume and quality, uh, the, the sale was 800, and 800 barrels, yeah. 820. Well, so it really well, could huge be, difference. Yeah, because huge difference. Uh, and, and last year, 2023, we, we had 750 barrels of wine because uh, they do a few barrels of uh, eau de vie as well. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it depends. It, it really changes every year. And can we ask sort of what sort of range these barrels sell for? Uh, in terms of this, the, so the last uh, auction in, in 2023, barrels went, I'd say, from 7,000 euros hammer up to 300. What's that a bottle? Uh, that well, goes from 50, up to 300,000. Yeah, that goes from 50 a bottle to wow. a couple of uh, thousand a bottle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they are, you know, the, the wines are very different. You have reds and whites. You have, it goes from, you, know, you have a, a Savigny Les Bones or a Bone Premier Cru, and then the Grand Cru. Uh, the, I think the most, if I remember correctly, the most expensive ones uh, were the, the Batard Montrachet, which are white. Uh, going back to what you said about uh, mm. red being more collectible than mm. white, in that case, probably not. No. Uh, Batard Montrachet, they have a, a, a amazing plot of, uh, of uh, Chardonnay in the, the Batard Montrachet appellation, and they, yeah, the, the OSPs do that amazing. Well, as we've been talking for quite a long time, well, we have to. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. You've pulled the court now. I mean, we can't send it back and have another court. No, it would be it would be a shame. So this is a 2017. So they are the wines that 
uh, that we, we have, we're very lucky to have for our uh, client dinners, uh, promotions. Um, they, they're absolutely amazing to drink now. So they don't, they don't have to age uh, necessarily for a very long time. It all depends on the wine and the appellation and everything, you know. Uh, uh, there are some wines that I have, uh, in the last edition, we had a last auction, we have uh, some clients who bought some 2021 and they've received it bottled and one said, well, I've, I've, I was, I've just opened my first uh, bottle of my 2021 and it was brilliant and it's great to drink now. And he says, I also have different barrels, some other cuvee, some other appellations, some maybe Poma, Pomic, who would say, well, this one, I'm gonna keep them for another 10 years. So also there's all type of range of wines in terms of aging potential. Uh, if you want something to drink quick in the next couple of years, once they bottle, you have to choose and there are some, uh, but there are some wines that are made that you can, you can keep for, for 10, 20 years and, and even more. So it's pretty, there's a bit for everyone and that's it, that is absolutely great. So, so what are we looking for here? For, for the benefit of our viewers, not so much the listeners, sadly. I, I, I'd um, say my first, my first answer would be just, just pleasure. You just want to enjoy it and, mm. and I hope you're going to like it. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's a very typical, it's Pinot Noir. Uh, so the color, it's, it's, um, it's not too dark. It's not, it is really in the middle. Uh, and then in terms of you're looking for, you look just, everyone could take, could smell and taste various different things in terms of, you know, uh, aroma. So I think it is, there's no real point of, of telling you what you should there's taste. There's no castrolar in there. Um, I've got a fly in mine. <laughs> but I think what's important when tasting a wine, the one thing is, is the balance. It has to be balanced uh, you know, between the fruit, the, the tannins, the acidity, all these things. Uh, how do you judge how balanced it is? I'd say just if you enjoy it. <laughs> mm. um, I've just had a sip. I couldn't wait. It's getting on in the day. But you get, you get, if you get a good balance, no, then you get not. a good acidity, which will, <laughs> which you will feel in your in the back of your mouth at yeah, the end. Yeah. Mm. And then the final Delicious. thing that you're looking at is something that will will stay, and that makes it very enjoyable. If you can, after a few seconds, you know, it's got a lovely finish. Yeah. You can still get a taste. Yeah. Um, Do you think the listeners are enjoying it? Oh, they're having a great time. Oh, the they're really <laughs> yes. Probably. They're, they're, si they're sitting at home thinking, they're driving to work listening to this thinking, what the hell is it going on? It is very difficult in? to, uh, to yeah. enjoy your wine when you just listen to how, yeah. it, how it's supposed to taste. It sounds fantastic though, doesn't it? Rescued the fly. Well, we actually we didn't say cheers. So. Yeah, cheers. Well, cheers. 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 Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much Thank for having for me today. Us. It's, uh, cheers. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, Michael. Always uh, nice to uh, talk about wine. Finish. Yeah. It goes very well after my strawberry yogurt this morning. <laughs> well, where we're lucky is it's traditionally we say that the best time for wine tasting is mid morning, or late morning, about 11. Right. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be where your taste buds are open and ready to taste. Is okay. that right? Well, see, I, a lot yes. of people would stare at you opening a bottle at 11 a.m. and, and think, oh, I. It's, it's a bit awkward well, in the office. I would never it's a bit early, 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 early for you on a weekend, isn't yeah. it, Peter? Okay, I have to correct. I was when talking you, about uh, you know, tasting. Marketing, it's standard procedure. When you have I a Lamborghini I was talking about 11, tasting, not yeah. drinking. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, but you know, if you've opened it, you it, taste, and you then the, of you, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Well, unless you have to taste several hundred of wine in the same in a few short period of time, then you don't. Is there one thing that you could... To me, it's quite okay. light. It's quite light. It is quite light. It's quite well, light. It's, um... It is, I mean, in the range of wines, the Pinot Noir is not mm. necessarily the heaviest wine, of course, mm. uh, compared to Bordeaux, compared to an Australian Shiraz, for example, which would be extremely powerful. I mean, you'd first see it in the color because it would be much more dark. It'd be darker. I mean, you can see what's important is more, you have to kind of see through it because it's not Pinot Noir is not a very dark, no, uh, dark so. wine. Um, in terms of, you know, the kind of you, you, you get when you when you smell it, you get obviously the fruit flavors, and there are you know the kind of red classical classic red fruits that you find. Uh, you, you start smelling a bit something which would be more earthy or animal mm. in it. And again, I'm not going to go into the details of what you should smell, but it's a kind of style of, of aromas that you would get. And these come from uh, mostly the, the, the elvage in the wood, that, the wood barrel, that's the what barrel, we're going right. to give 
uh, partially, but it takes a bit of time as well for them to reveal. Uh, when you, in a, a young wine, you really have the fruit, where a much older wine, you have those what we call tertiary aromas, which would be uh, yeah, earth, mushroom, undergrowth, mm. and, then, and then the animal side, it, uh, you know, a leather and this type of thing that you would smell How much of the flavor and the aroma comes from the barrels? Is it that depends the, how much, how that's long it's been in the barrel. Yeah, because that's key course. to whiskey, isn't it? It's all it about the barrel. Important. But it is also very important to wine. Um, now, it's, it's all, and that's the winemaker uh, decision and technique and how he wants his wine, what profile he wants to give to his wine. How do, you know, the winemaker would decide to take these grapes and, and, and you know, make them in a stillless uh, tank because he doesn't want wood, but otherwise do you want wood? And when you want wooden barrel, do you want new oak, which should give a lot of flavors to the wine, do you, and then otherwise you could use oak, but you could use a two, three, four-year-old oak, so that has seen two, three, four vintages, and then the impact of the wood in terms of aromas to the wine would be very minimal. The reason they would use it, again, is the micro-oxygenation you get through the woods, which you don't get through right. that. Uh, but it's it, and yeah, how long and what type of wood you use. And, and a wine producer wouldn't use barrels that, for example, have come from Spain and had sherry. And you know, they it's the other way around. Okay. So all the, so wine wine barrels are then used for spirits. Mm. Very important, and I, I'm sure that uh, you had that conversation with John. This is sherry, wasn't it? About this is sherry. Sherry yeah. is is one of the. Um, of the, the, the wine that they really look after, they really want. I think the issue is the whiskey industry now is that because there's less and less sherry produced, mm. there's less and less used barrels of sherry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I, at home, I have some couple of bottles of whiskey that were aged in Sauterne, uh, and the other one is yeah. Montbazillac, which is other sweet wine from the southwest of France. So they used all various types of used wine barrels for whiskies, but the other way around is not, it doesn't work. Um, the question for a winemaker would be, do I use new oak? First question. New oak would give more, uh, more aromas to wine than used oak. Do I use, I think it's usually French, Spanish or American oak because they have very different profiles. Mm. Uh, I think in Spain, most of the wine, they love one is they use American oak, which is going to give a lot of vanilla and almost caramel profile to wine. When in France, they use French barrels. Which gives different profile. It's every even the, the oak that you use sure. is uh, is very uh, very unique. English oak, Sussex oak. I think it's the finest, <laughs> finest in the world. Sussex oak. Taste of mould. It's the name of my local pub, the yeah. Sussex oak. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much. Uh, it's all the small details yeah. that will make a wine in the end, and from how you run your your culture in your vineyard. Mm. how you run your winery, what material you will use to make the wine, how you will make it, everything. It's, it's the conjunction of all these very small, or not small, but all these, these parts which would make the wine in the end. And, and for the Hospitable, what's also interesting is everyone buys the same wine at, at the same time, but then they all go to different producers or negociants to finish the élevage, and they could be slightly different in the end. Um, when we had our, our, our dinner, we had a client dinner in, in Bonn last November, and it was very fun to have the same vintage of the same wine, but from that vin, the élevage was done dif to different places, and they were slightly different in the end. One had seen, you could taste that one had seen a little bit longer the oak barrel, the other one maybe shorter, because after they've been moved, from the hospice winery to the negociant, the negociant could say, well, I would recommend to move it from the new barrel that you, we have to a sec second or third year barrel, just to minimize the impact of the wood, for example. It's, so you can have the same, it's the same wine at the start, but then five years later, or it was eight years, it was a 2015, it tastes too, they, they taste different. Well, you had the same wine at the start, and then five seconds later... <laughs> Am I, I'm not the only one that's... <laughs> it's, it's gone. Yeah. Oh. It's, uh, do, do you think it's time for I think we're tasting and you're, you're just drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, oh, look, I'm getting another one. I don't think you had really uh, proper taste. Yeah, I think you're right. I had yeah. less than the others. We can tell you work in marketing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had this for breakfast. Um, I'm OK, thanks. Um, thank you. Celia, 
thank you ever so this is a good time to wrap it up because I can now uh, I can now enjoy <laughs> I can say cheers thank you for joining us thank, well, you, thank you for very much for all your me. knowledge thank you. real pleasure. and uh, it's been fun and um, yeah thank about you very to get much. more fun he's going to have to take that back to the office nah, he's, well, he's going to have to yet. take it back no well, no I, I still, it's I still need to go around and watch the car so <laughs> I, I have, I I'm not going to take yeah, the bottle right. with me going True. to the car so Right, well, cheers, cheers to that then. Um, and uh, thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of RM Sotheby's Wine Show uh, this, this time around. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. See you next time.